0: Pastor Doug here from Crossroads. It's great to be with you. I hope that today's message will draw you closer to Jesus. When I was in high school, one of the things we do in the summer is we'd go on work camps and we'd be based out of a, a local campground. And for us to get around the campground throughout the week, one of the things we would do is we would often ride in the back Of our youth leaders flatbed pickup truck and after a few days of doing this uh, myself and a buddy of mine got this brilliant idea what if what if we jump out of the back of the moving truck and then catch up to it on the other side of the curve and jump back on how cool would that be that would be fun So we got this in our head. that This is what we wanted to do. My buddy was going to go first. We get close to the first curve. He jumps off the truck, hits the ground, starts rolling all over the place, wipes out completely. Now a normal person might say to themselves, huh, that doesn't look like a good idea. Maybe I'll stay in the truck. That was not me at this point. I'm sitting here thinking, Man, this guy's an idiot. Look at him wipe out. I was undeterred. Next curve comes up. I go. I jump out of the back of the vehicle. Apparently, the laws of you know, physics didn't really apply to me at that moment. I hit the ground. Of course, I wipe out. I go rolling all over the place, and it was bad. Now, unlike my buddy, I still remained undeterred. I was still going to do this. I get back up, I chase the truck down, I put my hands on the back of it, I put my foot on the tail hitch, and then another problem was revealed to me. I am wearing flip-flops. My foot slips off the tail hitch, and there I am hanging on the back getting drugged along the dirt road. In this moment, it took me longer than it should have to realize you're being drugged by a truck. Let go. Finally, I let go. I hit the ground. I get up. I am just, I am covered in dirt. I am bleeding everywhere. I'm in bad shape. I was fine overall, but I was was just pretty mangled up. And of course, everyone in the camp was making fun of me and all of those type of things. Now, I tell you this story not least of which so that if you're ever being drugged by a truck, let go. But also, sometimes it's just better to learn the lessons from the examples of others without going through the pain yourself. Sometimes it's just better to learn from other people. So that's what we're going to try and do this morning. We are going to learn from others' mistakes. Now, we're continuing in our series this summer on the book of Hebrews. And this morning, we're going to cover Hebrews chapter 3. And so let's jump right in. Hebrews 3, starting in verse 1. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in God's house. Now again here, we start out. The author is talking to believers. The author is making a specific point of comparing Moses and Jesus. And he continues. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. Now, Why is the author of Hebrews regularly, continuously comparing Jesus with Moses and the Old Testament law? Does he dislike Moses? Has he got a major problem with the Old Testament law? What is happening here? What is going on? Now, this has been hinted at before, so let's dive in a little bit deeper. What do we know about the Hebrews? We know that they were Jewish Christians. And these, both of these two words mean a lot in understanding what's going on here. This was a very unique time for followers of God. Before the arrival of Jesus, in the first century, being Jewish meant everything. It meant you were set apart. They were followers of the law. They were God's chosen people. The law was their identity. It was the story that told them who they were and where they came from. And Moses was their main hero, along with Abraham. Moses was one of their main heroes. And we see this mentality, this idea of Moses and the law being the foundation for them in another passage in the New Testament, in John 9. There's a story where Jesus heals somebody, and the guy he heals is being interrogated by the Jewish leaders. and says this, they hurled insults at him and said, you are this fellow, meaning Jesus, you are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we don't know where he came from. You can hear it. We are disciples of Moses. We believe in Moses. Following God meant following and keeping the law of Moses. Their entire lives revolved around this. Then Jesus comes and Jesus changes everything. Jesus enters the picture. Now as a result of Jesus' death and resurrection, He fulfilled the old covenant, the law of Moses. And he ushers in a brand new covenant centered not around the law, but around Jesus. Now, the Hebrews had received Jesus. They were Christians. But they were still struggling with the life-altering implications of that shift in fact, this shift was one of the major controversies in the first century church. It was all over the place if you read the New Testament. Did you have to be Jewish to be a follower of Jesus? Did you following Jesus mean having to follow the law? The early church decided that no, it did not mean that. So overnight, following God went from a foundation on the Mosaic law to a foundation built on Jesus. Imagine it was you, and the foundations of your life shifted overnight. This was a unique and dramatic shift, and it, undoubtedly a difficult transition for them. Overnight, the foundation of their faith shifted, the source of their identity shifted, the community they were in shifted. And they, Hebrews made that shift initially, but part of them was still holding on to that old foundation. And repeatedly, throughout the book of Hebrews, the author is trying to show them that they made the right choice in choosing Jesus. They can have confidence in Jesus. Let me give you an illustration to, to kind of help us with this process of what was going on with them. Uh, There's a movie that came out a number of years ago that I really, really like called The Walk. And The Walk is a story of Philippe Petit. He is an acrobat and high-wire walker. In the 1970s, him and a, a crew of buddies snuck up to the roof of the World Trade Center and strung a high wire between the two towers. He then spent the next hour walking back and forth across this high wire at the top of Manhattan On the top of these buildings and the movie depicts this story but there's one key moment that I want to zone in on it's the one that's represented in this picture here in the movie it shows he's got one foot on the wire and one foot still on the building and in the movie he stops and he ponders this moment he says there I was one foot on the wire I could feel the tension in the wire I could feel the strength and stability of the building and all I have to do is take one more step out of the wire and I become a wire walker. In that moment, he's saying, I have to decide. I have to decide. I'm stuck in this moment between trusting the wire and trusting the building and I have to make that choice. Do I really, really trust in this wire to hold me? If I do, I have one more step to take. I can't just stay there one foot on the building, one foot on the wire. And this is a great picture of what's happening in this moment, both for the Hebrews and for us. See, while we have never had to follow the Jewish law, Each one of us who takes a step of faith in following Jesus has to make that same transition, that same commitment. We have to shift our life from whatever it was being founded on to being founded on Jesus. We have to shift our identity from whatever we were basing it on to Jesus. And this is not easy. And it's not done lightly. See, for many of us, parts of our life had foundations that we really, really trusted on. Maybe for you, it was money, the security and the safety that having a full bank account means. Maybe for you, your identity was based on being the smartest person in the room, your intellect, or it was based on your skills, what you could provide, or your position, or being accepted. Maybe you're a person who depended on controlling everything that was in your life. Maybe it was looks or talent that you based your identity off of. Or your group, your family, your ethnicity, whatever tribe you were a part of. See, for most of us, we have made that shift to Jesus in some areas of our lives. But... are some areas that still remain a struggle many of us like the hebrews have one foot on the wire one foot on the building we believe in jesus we want to follow him we do trust him with parts of our lives but there are other parts that we're still unsure of one foot on the wire one foot on the building unsure if we're able to fully take that step out onto the wire. And this is especially true of us when it comes to time of stress and struggle, as we'll soon see. So the author spends the first part of this passage convincing his listeners that they can fully trust Jesus because he is a better, stronger foundation than what they had. And he's going to make this point, interestingly enough, by using the illustration of a house. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Jesus has found, been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. He's trying to convince them Jesus is a greater foundation than that of Moses. And it's an illustration about a house and a builder. So let me show you a house. Here's a picture of a house. Anyone familiar with this house? Yeah, it's called Falling Water, okay? It is a very, very famous house. It's a gorgeous house. I know some of you here have seen this house in person. It's famous, but why is it famous? It's famous in part because of its design, but it's more famous because of who designed it. Anyone know who designed it? Frank Lloyd Wright, yeah, Frank Lloyd Wright. Very, very famous designer and architect. This is where the ideas come from. Frank Lloyd Wright. This is why it's more famous. He is more famous than the house itself. This is where the genius lies. It lies with Frank Lloyd Wright. And so what he's saying is, why would you rely on something that's lesser when you can have something that's better? He continues... Moses was, a faith, was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the Son over the house, and we are his house, if indeed we hold firmly to the confidence and the hope in which we glory. So what he's saying in this passage, he's saying, Moses did a good job. Moses did his job. He was faithful as a servant is faithful. He ran the house like a servant. His role was temporary, temporary until whatever permanent would come. Jesus then takes over. He has greater power and greater authority. Jesus is faithful as the son over God's house. That's a different type of authority, isn't it? The authority of a son over a house. This authority is permanent. Now, here's another picture of a house. And this will help us with this illustration. This is a house whose porch is being supported by temporary beams. The idea of these beams is to support the structure until what is permanent can go in. Once what's permanent goes in, we can remove the temporary structure. And this is the problem they found themselves under. Jesus had arrived. The permanent pillars were in. However, they weren't sure they could trust him. So they were still keeping the temporary pillars there just in case. Why? Why? Why were they doing this? Well, if we remember what we've been talking about for the past few weeks, the Hebrews were under tremendous pressure. They faced persecution from Romans and from the Jews. They were discouraged, and they felt defeated. When we face trials, it causes uncertainty. The uncertainty causes us to question whether we are trusting in the right things or not. And trouble is an opportunity for us to trust. If there are areas in our lives that we have not fully turned over to Jesus, areas where we don't fully trust him, we get tempted in those areas. We get tempted to trust in those areas, those older, lesser foundations that we're still partially basing our life on. For the Hebrews, that meant their identity in the Old Covenant and Moses— It was what was familiar to them. What is it for us? When challenges come, what things are we tempted to trust in instead of Jesus? When we're facing financial hardship, are we tempted to pull everything back, stop being generous, and just hold on to what we have? Are we tempted to rely on politics and political solutions in those moments? If we're having trouble at home, are we tempted to find cover and comfort in another person? When we're faced with shortages, are we tempted to hoard? I know we've had to face this when it came to the whole formula shortage. Like, do we just run in and buy everything we can get a hold of or not? Are we tempted to trust in old friends, old routines, old comforts? Alcohol, drugs, sex, any of those type of things. This was the temptation that the Hebrews faced with regard to their old lives. And like the Hebrews, this puts us in dangerous and potentially harmful situations. And this is what the author is concerned about. He's concerned about what happens under stress when they're tempted in these areas. He says in verse 6b, if we hold firmly to our confidence, if. He's concerned about what direction they're headed, like we talked about a couple weeks ago. So the author is going to address his concerns by warning the Hebrews of the consequences if they give in and turn away from Jesus. And he's going to address that with a lesson from their own history. Now, how many of you like history? I'm a big fan of history. I read it all the time. I love talking about history. It's one of my favorite subjects in school. Some of my best teachers were history teachers. But anytime I was in history class, there was always somebody in there who did not appreciate history. And they would always inevitably ask the question, why do we need to learn any of this? It's just a bunch of dead people. Almost always, inevitably, the history teacher would respond with the same exact quote. And you might even know what quote we're talking about. Those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it. This was originally said in some form by George Santayana sometime in the early 1900s. Now, as cliche as this phrase is, there is real wisdom behind it. If you learn the lessons from history, you get the benefit of wisdom that you did not have to painfully earn. And the author, what he's going to do now is he's going to quote from Psalm 95. And it's a passage that talks about Israel's rebellion in the desert outside of Egypt. So let's take a look. So as the, he, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. I said, "Their hearts are always going astray, and they know not, they have not known my ways. So I declare, on oath, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest." So what's going on here? The author is referencing what happened to the people of Israel in the aftermath of their triumphant escape from Egypt, a story they would have all been familiar with, and many of us are familiar with it as well. But just a little bit of a refresher. The Israelites were held in slavery in Egypt for over 400 years. God had sent Moses in, and he led his people out of Egypt. And they were headed to the land that God had promised them. But along the way, the people rebelled against God repeatedly. Now, it's fascinating to me that this was a people, and that this was a generation That rebelled against God. This was a generation that had seen God do incredible, miraculous things, the stuff of legends. They were there when the plagues happened in Egypt. They were the ones who walked on the Red Sea in dry land with the walls of water facing them. They were the ones who got their breakfast directly from heaven every morning in the desert. These are the things we make movies about. These are the stories we tell our kids about. They witnessed some of the most incredible displays of divine power imaginable. It says in verse 9, For 40 years they saw what I did. Yet listen to how they're described. Hardened hearts. Rebellion. Always going astray. How did this happen? Well, after escaping from Egypt, they didn't immediately go to the promised land. There was a desert that they needed to cross to get there. And the desert was their next great challenge. They were out of the frying pan and into the fire, as it were. And the desert was harsh. It was brutal. It was stretching. It would be their time of testing. The desert challenge would show If the people truly did trust in God for their safety, for their security, for their basic needs, were they willing to place both feet on the wire? Trouble is an opportunity to trust. If there was any generation that should have had faith in God that he would get them through, it should have been them. Verse 16 says, Who was it who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? Yet they failed the test. They complained. They grumbled about the conditions, about the food God provided, about the water, about everything. They failed to fully trust God for their safety, their protection, their needs. And God does not compel us to trust him in those challenging areas of life. Instead, when we are faced with difficulty, God gives us opportunities to trust. And then he asks us to respond. Trouble is an opportunity to trust. And the Israelites in the desert were given opportunity after opportunity to show that they could fully trust God. When it came to food... They were given the opportunity to trust. And when they complained, they said, No, God, I don't trust you. And their hearts became a little bit more closed off to God and a little bit harder. They were given the opportunity to trust when it came to water. And they said, No, God, we don't trust you. And their hearts got a little bit more closed to God, a little bit harder. They were given the opportunity to trust under conditions that were terrible. And they said, No, God, we don't trust and their hearts became harder. Eventually, if you keep rejecting opportunities to trust in God, it can become unbelief and even open rebellion. And this is what happened to the Israelites. At one point, they cried out that they wished they could go back to Egypt, back into slavery. The people who walked triumphantly through the Red Sea on dry land beg to go back. Can you imagine something more insulting to God? This is how God reacted. Verse 11. So I declared on oath in my anger they shall never enter my rest. So an entire generation died in the desert, never made it to the land that God promised. It's an incredibly hard, incredibly tragic story from Israel history. And you might ask, how could this happen? How could they possibly go from walking through the Red Sea rejoicing to demanding to go back to slavery? I think a better question for us to ask would be this. If it could happen to the people who saw and experienced God the way they did, why couldn't it happen to us? Why couldn't it happen to us? And that's what the author of Hebrews says in verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. The author says, Watch out. You're in danger of going down the same path as your ancestors. The striking similarities were there. The Hebrews had seen and experienced Jesus, they knew the freedom he brings, they knew the truth about the resurrection. Yet when trouble came, they were tempted to go back to their old life, to the old things under the harsh conditions of the law. We too face that same danger. We've seen Jesus work in our lives. We've seen what he's done in history. We see the examples all over the place. Yet when trouble comes our way, how often are we tempted to run back to our old life, to our old habits, to our old ways of living, because they're comfortable, they're familiar, they feel more certain to us in the moment, even if they were damaging to us and destructive to us, even if they lead us in a direction away from Jesus. But trouble is always an opportunity to trust. The author of Hebrews is warning them and warning us. God is giving you an opportunity to trust Opportunity to take one foot off the building and put both feet on the wire to trust him with every single area of your life. But be careful. Each time in those moments when you choose not to trust, you risk hardening your heart towards him. And eventually, failure to trust looks indistinguishable from unbelief. So what are the things in your life that you're having trouble trusting God with? What is the desert you're facing? What are the old, comfortable, familiar ways and habits that you're tempted to turn back to? What are they? So what if we want to avoid this? What do we want? if we want to take this lesson and learn from it? How do we do that? Well, the evidence here is right in the scripture. There's a couple of clues here that can help us avoid this fate. And one of them is right there in the very first verse of Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Fix your thoughts on Jesus. Choose what your mind focuses on. You have the power to choose what your mind focuses on. We're all vulnerable when things are going wrong at having negative thoughts, negative thought patterns, things that just constantly creep in. We're constantly on the lookout for complaining and turning our thoughts against God. But by fixing our thoughts on Jesus, we can keep this cycle from happening. How do we do that? Well, we need to spend time with him daily. We need to pray, talk to him about what's going on. Talk to him about what you're wrestling with we need to be in scripture on a regular basis focusing on the words and teachings of Jesus what has he promised us what has he warned us against and we need to constantly remind ourselves of all the ways that Jesus has come through for us in the past the second thing we need to do we need to encourage one another daily encourage one another daily hebrews 3:13 says encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you will be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We need other people in our lives. We need them, especially when we face hard times. When others come alongside of us, they can interrupt our negative thoughts. They can interrupt that tendency we have to go in a different direction. They can call us out and call us back and say, no, hold on, keep trusting Every single one of us needs people in our lives to do that. God is calling us in the midst of our struggle, in the midst of our desert, in the midst of everything going around on us, to trust him. Not just with part of our lives, but with our whole selves. And the danger of slowly hardening our hearts is real. But we can learn from history we can learn that lesson. Will we learn the lesson? Will we fix our eyes on Jesus? Will we encourage one another daily? If you want to respond on your connection card, there's three ways you can do this. You can say, hey, God is calling me to trust him with a very specific area of my life. Or for you, maybe you're saying, I really could use that encouragement. Right now, I really, I'm going through stuff, and I really can use that encouragement. The third thing you can do is say, hey, this is something I can do. I can encourage other people. I can help contribute to this. There's a way to check that off, too. Will we learn that lesson? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have provided us with lessons. That you provide examples to us of what we can avoid, God. That we can avoid hardening our hearts. That we can learn the lessons from others that we don't have to go through them ourselves. God, many of us struggle with trusting you in specific areas of our lives. There are things we hold back. Sometimes we are unwilling or unsure about putting both feet in and fully trusting you in these areas. God, let this serve as a warning to us. God, that you want us to trust and you're giving us opportunities to trust. God, this morning, help us to take advantage of those opportunities. Help us to see trouble as an opportunity to trust in you, as an opportunity to grow and allow you to completely carry on our lives. Help us this morning. Give us the courage and the strength to be able to take those challenges on and to trust you. And God, bring other people around us, God, who can say, hey, I'm here for you. Hang on, keep going. And help each one of us to be that person for somebody else. Let's take a lesson from history. In your name, amen. Thanks again for listening. Any step you take towards Jesus is a step in the right direction. You can find out more about us at CRBIC.org. That's CRBIC.org.